Hi, I'm Rob Paulson, and you may know me better as Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. And, God, you're watching Sci-Fi Saturday Night. No. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to an Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Well, it's not just any Area 51 recording. It's the newest one. Uh, Tonight's episode is 525. I am your vaccinated and masked host, The Dome. I'm wearing my Nixon mask tonight in honor of, I don't know, whatever, Uh, (laughs) um, because... uh, it's monkeypox night. They announced that we're getting monkeypox. Uh, and and uh, joining joining me at the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, at the uh, clickbait checking, fact checking, wheel of fish and soil and green snack bar, it's Captain Cam. And by the way, Captain Cam, we are getting our monkeypox vaccinations next week. Wanted you to be aware of that. Sweet. Is it going to be the same way you gave me the uh, COVID vaccinations? You're going to give me a a uh, hundred yard uh, lead and then start firing the tranquilizer darts. Yes, yes, yes. It's going to be a dart <laughs> throw. Absolutely. This is how all we right, do it right. here. In there. But you do, okay. you do get the hundred yard da- uh, dash first. So yeah, we'll see how that works out. It should be fun. Uh, I, Lord knows I always have fun during, during vaccine season. And it looks like it's going to be every couple of months at this point, which is ridiculous, but it is. All the new way. All I have in my head is the images of Bugs Bunny putting up a sign. Monkeypox vaccine season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, we should have that up on the office door at this point. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, every once in a while here at Area 51, we get like books, like five or six. Oh, God, we got a book this week and I can't even tell you. I can't tell you the book that we got this week and 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 Captain brought it into me and he went, you don't want to read this book. And I looked at him and I went, but Captain, that's what we do here. And he went, no, you don't want to read this book. And then he handed me the book and I got to page three and I went, you know what? You're right. I don't want to read this book. And, and yeah, wow. Wow, you were so right about that book. <laughs> and that's why we that have was... on tonight who we do. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad we have somebody on whose book we did want to read because, wow, that was really something. That doesn't happen yeah. a lot, does it? No, it happens um, every every blue moon. It, it happens, and yeah, it. Uh, we're we not generally... going to mention names, and we're not going to mention authors, and we're not going to mention titles. But wow, when it happens, oh my god, when it happens, 
Wow. <laughs> All I'm wow. going to say is that I've got a metric ton of groat in the back, and I'm going to mix that in with the book and make a groaty pudding. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be making uh, uh, Cambodian goat clusters later, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. I, I truly I've got, I've got a wonder. Uh, I've got a wonderful recipe for it. You know, I think you'll like oh, it. Terrific. <clears throat> terrific. Um, <clears throat> according, according to our next guest, David e. Kelly, the earth is really screwed up. At least according to his book, it's a horrible place. If you, if you read the first five chapters of book two uh, of Logan's world, uh, the first half of the book, the earth is a horrible place. Yeah, thanks a lot, David. <laughs> Welcome back, my friend. <laughs> Man, could you have been any more dystopian? Well, thanks for having me back again. Uh, it's great to be here. And yeah, the, it's uh, it definitely takes a, a big dip into the dystopian end of things in, in book two. Yeah, uh, we're we're talking about about uh, uh, oh god, and I'm gonna butcher the name again. Help me, help me, please, God, help me. Clenching Dawn. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's a name I'm never going to get right. It's it's all I'll, I'll look at it and I'll go. Uh, uh, Smith, all the letters are silent uh, <laughs> because it's just this jumble of of it's it's yeah it's this long big word with a lot of letters in it, uh, and, and it's I'm guessing it's a Native American word that I would feel horrible if I butchered, so I'd try real hard not to. Uh, but it's Logan's World, book two. And in book one, we met Logan Two Feathers, uh, a, a very wonderful character living uh, off world, who for some reason at the end of book one has to come back to Earth. And when he does, uh, wow, what a mistake that is. <laughs> because we open book two. Uh, in a world that makes uh, The Handmaid's Tale look like uh, a nursery rhyme, for lack of something better. <laughs> it's really a horrible place, man. Uh, Parts of it, yeah, for sure. Which, which I, I'm assuming is what gives the people in this timeline, in this time frame, the impetus to get the hell off it. Uh, and explore the rest of the universe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea is is that um, the environment is sort of seriously breaking down, and uh, for a lot of you know, for a very large percentage of uh, the world's population, it's uh, it's a pretty horrible place. Um, and so, you know, that's the impetus for why they're sort of like trying to get out to other worlds and, and kind of like find other places to live in the universe. Um, and so it's kind of, it's very bleak, but there are people still trying, you know, it's not a, a complete story of failure, but it's, there's a lot to fight again. Well, we, you go through, we, we as, as the reader are, are brought into uh, an earth which which as a society that's broken down uh humanity that's broken down 
uh, technology that's broken down, uh, an ecology that's broken down. Uh, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's just a pretty, and and you spend a lot of time, um, as as a writer going into some pretty harsh detail as to how, why, where it is what it is and how from a uh, technological standpoint, from a societal standpoint and from a sociological standpoint, it's gotten to where it is and how that infestation on the earth has translated to the outposting through colonization to other planets. Yeah. Um, this all kind of started in, in the Joe Ballon series, which was before Logan Two Feathers. That's where you kind of first got the introduction to some of these things. Um, but yeah, basically as, as the story, the Joe Ballon stories, and then now the Logan uh, stories, as they progress, I mean, things are just getting kind of almost, you know, worse on a daily basis. Um, and much of the kind of political kind of scenario and, and makeup has been kind of split. So um, the US is kind of like split into sort of like a northern um, section that's allied itself with uh, the Canadian provinces. And then the uh, southern um, United States has actually become very heavily dominated by, you know, very radical religion um, and so on. And so it's it's a very shattered world in, in many senses. And then that sense of uh, uh, brokenness didn't stay on the earth as humanity moved off the earth but and have brought it with them which is never a good thing <laughs> and to varying degrees it you know uh, big corporations brought them with it uh, uh, the military brought them with it and you go into rather gruesome detail at some points of how unfortunate that could be. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a kind of, it's a projection of, you know, kind of like some of the things that were already unfortunately starting to see around the world, you know, um, we already have, you know, kind of uh, climate issues that are starting to dominate the news fairly frequently. Um, and I think, you know, like a lot of science fiction, I think the Logan series is a, a kind of reflection of what we see kind of like around us now. And uh, yeah, it's a horrible place. I, I, but frankly, I hope it never comes. When, I just, when I you... It might. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, when you when you write a, a series of books and stories like this, do you feel as if 
and we're going to get real philosophical here for a minute, if it's okay with you. Um, and the only reason we're doing this, the only reason I'm doing this is um, I don't know how familiar you are with George Carlin, but there was there's this wonderful HBO documentary by George Apatow. It's oh, four hours long. It's running on HBO this month. And it talks about his understanding of humans and how humans individually are wonderful, but in groups can be, uh, it's just, you know, you can't deal with it anymore <laughs> because as groups, they don't react as individuals. They they don't care about themselves anymore. Uh, and it leads to some, you know, you care individually about a planet. You care, you care about safety and, and, and people and things, but all of a sudden you can't care in, in a group about taking care of our planet. And as you're writing a novel, a series of books and stories that are this dystopian, do you feel a sense of hopelessness? Because there are points at which this is a very bleak series of stories. I mean, I have no idea. Now, I realize this is not the last of the the, the, the Logan Two Feather stories that you're going to write. It can't be based on the way this book ends. At least I hope it isn't. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I can't give away the ending of the book. And I'm not going to. But it's a very bleak condemnation of the earth and society. Do you, do you feel that sense of hopelessness in this dystopia? Um, I think at times, yeah. I mean, as I said, I mean, if you look around, I mean, we're kind of seeing a lot of these things going on. I've really sort of like kind of just extrapolated them to where they could very easily end up. Um, and so sometimes I, I, I do kind of like feel that weight on me as I'm, I'm writing it. Um, I mean, obviously, at the same time, it's fiction. And so you hope that we can find better solutions than we have perhaps at this point, but yeah, I mean, you, you can't really, I don't think you can really write something like that without it actually affecting you to some degree or another, and and they do, I mean, I, I actually find them sort of personally quite difficult to write um, because of the things that are happening to the characters and, um, you know, the kind of the destroyed kind of world that they exist in and uh, so yeah I mean it's it's something which I think probably the same for a lot of writers but you know you definitely feel the weight of the kind of world that you've built and Another, it's inner sorry go on. oh sorry uh, no finish what you're saying and then I'll, I'll, I'll get to my point 
Well, I was just going to say, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I mean, it's it's one of these things. I mean, you feel it and you kind of like hope, you really hope to goodness it's not going to go that way. But at the same time, you're kind of, you know, you're looking around at things and you're thinking, well, is anybody really doing enough to prevent these things? And I can definitely see that. And one of the things that I noticed in this book series and this and we're going from the larger, you know, the the macro to the micro, because um, then what Don was talking about is the macro level. But one of the things that I, what things that struck me and Dome has a habit of in the past calling me a cold hearted, well, something or other. That's because um, you are, but that's OK. <laughs> right, right, right. It, it is true. <laughs> Honestly, he's not wrong. I am the person that will at the beginning of the book will the, look at the cute bunny rabbit and go, EF Thumper's going to die before the end. <laughs> and I will be right, <laughs> usually. But, you know, it's one of those things. When I read your books, you take characters and you give some interest in them. You kind of you kind of pull us and go, here, you know, here's all these characters. The number of characters that you have engaged us with that you have well, for lack of a better word, oft. I will use one from the first book that I really couldn't talk about when we we're doing the first podcast. So if those of you who have not read the first book, um, shut the podcast off. Put your fingers off. in your ears because you don't want to hear this. But he's right. right but, he's about to say something but, that's very right. <laughs> go go read. Go read Quillingson's Dawn. Come back, turn on the podcast, and we'll get back to you can get back to this. But seriously, you should have read the book by now. Um, if I can read a book in a week, you guys can too. All right. So the point being is in, in the first book we meet a character called Tepfer, who is when we first meet him, one of the most bigoted individuals, at least that's our impression of him, mm -hmm. that you can ever hope to meet. And then, you know, and this is a character that goes through a very difficult journey with Logan together yep. and Tepfer ends up dying before completing the journey and Logan has to complete the journey on his own and this is right in the very first part of the book and it is one of the, my favorite parts of everything you've written out of three out of two books so far my favorite part was trying to come down making that journey those two characters making that journey together and one of the interesting things was as you find you get back down and he has to tell all the people at tepfer knew um about his death he starts to learn about a whole different tepfer a more nuanced tepfer that mm is not quite what most of us would have thought when we were reading the the initial you know journey through the mountain and you do this with a lot of other characters in the book that i'm not going to spoil it just in case people didn't shut off and are still listening and these other characters are <laughs> fairly bigger including one in this current book which i mean i'll be happy to uh tell you which one that was after we shut off the uh, recording uh, Dave but you you do manage to you know pop off quite a few characters between the first book and the second book that you have kind of built you know you build up a bit of a, of a connection we build up a connection with these characters 
And I guess my question is, because I know why I would do it, because like, like Dome says, I'm cold hearted. But how do you get, go to the point, and I don't think I've asked this of any other author, how do you choose which characters live and which characters die? Because it's interesting. And, you know, there's as many characters in this book that I could have seen that could have, you know, ended up, you know, getting the short end of it. And, you know, so it's like, how do you make that decision? Who lives and who dies in your stories? Because you do do a very good job of making us care just enough or be interested just enough before you, you know, you know, drop that final curtain on that character. So it's like, how do you make that decision? Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, I I try very hard to to make my characters um, as three dimensional as possible. It's like I don't believe anybody, and I and I don't care kind of like what their personal kind of uh, philosophy or politics or you know creed or whatever it is I, I think every single one of us are very very complex people and I, I don't think you know in a in a real person I don't think you ever have somebody who is you know entirely awful who is entirely villainous who's entirely evil um, and so I, I always try to reflect that in all of my characters and, and Tepfer was a very good example of of that. Um, I mean, as you say, I mean, in the first part of the book, it's like he just comes across as a complete um, bigoted, racist kind of piece of nasty sort of whatever. And and it's only kind of, as you say, when you kind of like, when Logan kind of meets some other people who knew him and they had a very they saw a very different side to him. But you realize that, you know, you know, below or, or behind all of this kind of like, you know, very bigoted front, um, there was actually a person behind that who was actually far more complex than, than you kind of like in, would initially imagine from his interactions with Logan. Um, and as for how I choose which ones die um that's a question i'm not sure i could answer i i don't really know who is going to die necessarily i i mean i i don't plan these ahead they're very organic um i'm not a plotter so it's kind of the one who becomes the unluckiest i guess (laughs) One of the things that I found really, really interesting in terms of your character development from book one to book two was this surprising reintegration of a character that I thought we had left behind in book one coming back into book two. Um, And it was, well, it was very surprising. And again, I'm going to tap dance my way through this one. for a lot of non-spoilery reasons. Uh, But again, it's the kind of question that I have in terms of, wow, how did you make that happen? Was that planned? Did that happen organically? Uh, Or was that part of the 
the the outline process all the way through? Or do you even know what the hell I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I think I know which character that you you're referring to that. And uh, that one was, was quite interesting. It's it was um, it was one of these things where, as you say, after the first book, you probably wouldn't expect to necessarily see that character again. Uh, and certainly not in the context that the character does reappear in in the uh, second book. Um, and I had all sorts of different ideas of um, how to handle the particular circumstances uh, surrounding that reappearance. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there were a whole different kind of like bunch of ideas that I could have used. And then it suddenly kind of like just came to me as I was writing that that would be a real kind of twist that people wouldn't expect. And they wouldn't expect that character to reappear in that way. And so as soon as that kind of hit me, I just thought, yeah, that's got to be it. Because, I mean, one of the things as a writer that, you you know, you really love to do is, you know, surprise your reader. You know, I mean, that's one of the kind of like big things we like to do as, as authors is kind of like, you know, trick people. We make them think one thing and then we do something else. Or we build up expectations here and then we kind of like, oh, no, we're going to kill that one. Um, you know, and so that's kind of like one of the things that kind of makes writing fun and it, it was that was very organic I mean that kind of came that came uh, roughly about probably about two or three chapters before the character actually reappears so it, it was quite a late decision with that so the writing process for you that really comes down to I wonder what would happen if <laughs> yeah and then you just uh, kind of roll the dice it's it's very much a, a kind of an exploration it's i mean the things that happen in terms of plot and so on and character development quite often and i know it sounds kind of crazy but it's like it's a surprise as much as a surprise to me as it is to the reader when they when they read the finished book um my my writing process is very um, organic. It's very um, in a way haphazard, and and sometimes um, in actual fact, sometimes I actually dream entire sections of books, and. It's just literally it comes to me while I'm asleep and suddenly I wake up and it's like, yep, that's how it's going to end. And so it is, it's, it's very much kind of a very loose process. Uh, I find if I, and I've tried doing kind of detailed plotting and, and so on, but I find one, if I, when I've tried that, if I try to be too detailed in terms of plotting, I find that it stifles my creativity or my imagination and and I 
I just start to kind of like flounder. Um, whereas if I just kind of work in this kind of somewhat nebulous way, it just seems to kind of work for me. So it sounds like to me almost that you you rather enjoy you almost like to be as much surprised by what comes out of your pen or your pencil or your typewriter or your word processor as you hope that the reader will be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of that, that to me is part of the fun of, of writing. Um, if I'm writing to a hard and 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 kind of like rigid outline it's just kind of like well that's no fun I mean it's like and if I've spent a lot of time kind of creating that outline it's like to me it's almost like I, I've, I've already written the book why do I need to write it again well the other thing too is is what it really I think what it feels like to me is that rather than hard uh lego blocking out everything you're as much a fan of your characters as the readers are i think so i mean i like my characters i i like characters who are very kind of like independent i like characters who um think for themselves um and i i don't like i don't like characters that just kind of accept things the way they are i like people you know i like characters who you know want to kind of change things for the better they're trying to do something for the better even if they're not necessarily kind of the 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 protagonist in the story um and i think that's kind of like a reflection of, of my own personality to be honest it's like i like people like that in myself and and i've known a lot of people like that uh so mm-hmm. you know it, it's kind of it is it's something I, I definitely get very attached to my characters and, and unfortunately when one of them you know bites the bullet um i'm often very upset by that you know, and and I find it a very emotional experience. Do you sometimes you you then feel the same as as some of your as as the people that read it? You know, certainly you know, like I I made a list. Unfortunately, two of the names are spoilers for this book, but I made a list of my of, of characters that should not have died. Um, <laughs> and you know, I've yeah, already, already mentioned did. one. Yeah, Dome knows because this list is on, on on the shared document we share, and um, one of them is the one I just mentioned, Tepfer, and the other is two characters that we lose that you we can't mention that we lose in book two, and mm-hmm. so it and I I do understand where you're coming from because yeah, it does you do it definitely make us feel like we are losing somebody in at least one case that we're losing a friend. You know, it's like, so it's, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from, that you can get very, as you're writing, you're most, you get mostly attached, because that, as a reader, that's the how it felt. Well, that's a, a very big compliment, thank you. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's very much the intention, it's, you know, um, I mean, I'm not cruel in that sense, but it's like, I want 
people to become attached to these characters. I want them to to feel the the things that they're going through and the things that they're suffering because you know I mean that to me is kind of a whole part of you know the sort of reading experience and 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 the storytelling process. They're not okay. Go ahead. Not Kyle, just red shirts. Uh, yeah, well, let's just wanted to just wrap that up. What we're just talking about, but they're they're not red shirts. They they have lives. They have personalities. It's not like yeah. in the original Star Trek, the person that beamed down in the red shirt. Oh, that that's the red shirted guy. That's the one that's going to get eaten by the uh, lava monster. You know that somebody uh, did a university uh, dissertation where they did an analysis of red shirt deaths. Yeah, absolutely. And in actual fact, yes, I'm a, the, the people who died the most were the ones in the yellow shirts. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. I have seen that. It's a, the whole red shirt thing is a misnomer, but it's what most people are familiar yeah, with. But yeah, you're right. Is, yeah. I have seen that. It's yellow shirts die more often than red shirts. <laughs> okay, now here's where we tiptoe just a little bit, and we have to be very careful. Because I'm going to talk about the ending of the book and try very desperately not to give anything away while I ask a couple of questions. Okay. The ending of the book gives us a series of expectations. It takes us where we expect to be and then throws a couple of boomerangs at us as well. Mm-hmm. And we can't talk about the boomerangs. The expectations are everything we wanted, I think we want to see. And that's wonderful. That's good that we get, we, there is some semblance of closure there to some of the areas and forward motion for for Logan. And and his quest, because in many ways, this is a book of quests. This is very much an Arthurian quest tale in a lot of respects. At the same time, as you have done in book one, at the end of book one, you throw a spanner into the machine. You throw a monkey wrench at the forehead of the reader and go, yeah, thought you were done. Uh Uh-uh. Here's something you want. As you were busy watching my right hand, there's something in my left hand. And you got a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here. And oh, by the way, here's this. So we'll assume based on the spanner you threw into the machinery that there is a book three. And the book three takes us off planet. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I told you he's going to say that, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, that was that was a great bit of misdirection in the last <laughs> couple of. Okay, readers, oh, readers out there, the last three chapters of the book are wonderful. Enjoy the hell out of them. Uh, 
you're going to love them and hate them all at the same time, just like I did, <laughs> for a myriad of reasons that bring you full circle, throw a burlap bag over your head, hit you in the head with the burlap bag over your head, pull the burlap bag off, and then go, what do you think you saw? Because you don't know. <laughs> and then say, see you next time. <laughs> because there's a hell of a lot more to this story than just the reunification of the things that you thought you were going to see when we started this quest two books ago. It's a great Arthurian quest set off in the grand scale as all of these quest stories are. And for that, you're to be congratulated. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm uh, very um, blown away by, by the kindness of your work. It's, um, that's the kind of thing that I, I, I you know, obviously was trying to do. And, uh, you know, to, the fact that you kind of, like, picked up on that and, and saw these things, I mean, that's such a, a heartwarming feeling for, for me as an author, you know. As a reader, go oh, go ahead, Ken. I was just gonna say, and I know this is no spoilers, because if, if you're not gonna know what the hell I mean until you get there, is <laughs> I'm looking forward to book two, book three, when we learn the Logan's recipe for mushroom soup. <laughs> there you go. See, the author gets my my reference. <laughs> As a reader, nobody likes to have a burlap sack pulled over their head and be hit in the forehead with a stick and then have it pulled off. But trust me when I tell you this time you will. <laughs> Our guest tonight has been talking about Guizian, yeah, just like, yeah, right. Coenchian and Dawn, Logan's World, book two, written by David E. Kelly. David, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you on. Well, thanks very much for having me. Great talking to you guys. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is made possible with the support of Granite Con and Double Midnight Comics, Plastic City Comic Con, The Upper Valley Comic Expo, Dreamforge Anvil and Dreamforge Magazine, and Comic Art House. If you're looking for a great gift idea, May we suggest Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family, available on Amazon. The audiobook is also available on Audible. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. Check out all of his amazing work at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their discography is available on Bandcamp. Thank you so much, Jojo. This is Dome saying shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. I don't you hate people like me? I know I do.